Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Can we give these guys a round of applause for leading us in worship? If you guys have your Bibles, you can look, open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we are, and you guys can go ahead and open up there right now. Um, we're going to get right into it because we have a lot to cover. And uh, I'm excited that you're here, and if this is your first time, um, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here, and we're honored, and we're excited to uh, walk through God's Word with you to worship the Lord. Um, he's a big God. He's a great God. Um, we love Him so much. Um, we're captivated by Him, so we want to lift Him up. And uh, today's all about Jesus. It's all about uh, the Lord. It's all about God the Father, um, who is great and mighty. And uh, my goal today is that you would worship Him and... Um, and that's our goal every week. Luke chapter 2, again, prior to us getting into the text, um, we're going to continue with our journey. Now, we've been memorizing through the books of the Bible in order uh, so that you guys would know them by heart, and we've been reciting them in service. So if you're afraid uh, of, of that, um, just kind of mumble, open your mouth, and just kind of go like this, and I'll be like, man, they know what they're talking about, right? And, uh, and, and it'll be okay. Um, but this is where we've been up until this point, um, Philemon, Hebrews, and James is what we said last week, um, and we, we came up with a little acronym, um, uh, peanut, hutter, and jelly, okay? Uh, peanut, hutter, and jelly. So that's how we memorized the PHJ, Philemon, Hebrews, James, um, and, uh, and so if you guys have been working on this, we're going to recite this just by reading it first, and then we're going to move into taking it away and, uh, and reciting it from memory. Now, what's cool about this is next week, Connor will be preaching, and uh, Connor, this will be his last time preaching before we send him off to Minnesota next week, so you want to make sure that you're here and that you give him a hug, uh, give him a hard time about a few things as well, and, um, and then we're going to send him off, but next week when he's preaching, he won't be, he won't be doing this. Um, many of the guys who do it in my stead don't do this because it takes away like half of their preaching time. In addition to that, what we'll do is we'll finish these books of the Bible on Easter Sunday, which is awesome. It's just a fitting time uh, for us to finish this. So this will be, we'll, we'll add some books this week and then we'll take next week off. And then Easter Sunday, um, we will uh, complete uh, the memorization of the books of the Bible in order. So let's get there. Let's, let's uh, recite these from reading. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Hebrews. Philemon, Hebrews, James. All right, good job. I messed it up for you. All right, you guys ready? Can you guys do this without looking? Well, you don't have a choice because you're going to do it. All right, you ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, 
Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, James. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right, now, if you're like completely intimidated by this and you're like, I am never coming back here again because I can't do this. You can do this. You can. Be encouraged. You can do this. Um, we've been doing this for a lot of weeks, okay? So this week, we're going to add five books, okay? Um, but we're going to be, uh, we can't really divide these, okay? There's two writers, five books. Ready? First and second, Peter. All right, first and second Peter, first, second, and third John. I debated about how to say that. You're like, first John, second John, third John, um, or should we just do it how we've been normally doing it? So here we go. Ready? First and second Peter, first, second, and third John. Say it again. First and second Peter, first, second, and third John. Say it again. First and second Peter, first, second, and third John. One more time. First and second Peter, first, second, and third John. Okay, you guys ready? All right. Just remember, at the end, it's just Peter and John, okay? Might be five of them. We got two names, okay? Let's get this, and then we got one more week. You can do it. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good job. Good job, church. Well, um, continue working on that because that's the way in which this is going to stick, repetition. If you're in your Bibles and you're open to Luke chapter 2, we're going to get right into this and read, and then I'm going to explain to you what's happening, okay? So let's open up, let's read, let's look at the text, and here we go. Ready? Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace." According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that, your, so that thoughts of, from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, when we read this passage, let me tell you a little bit, okay? We've been going through the book of Luke. We've been walking through it from the beginning. And that's the, the study that the Lord um, led me, led us to do, which sometimes I wonder, like, Lord, you really wanted us to go through this difficult book. It's so, so packed. But of course he does. This is his word, and it points us to who Jesus is. And in fact, that's exactly what Luke has been doing since we've started this book. In the first two chapters of Luke, what, what, what he's doing is establishing who Jesus is. Okay, so that's what he's doing, and really on into chapter 3, when you see John the Baptist as an adult, and Jesus is going to be walking by the sea, and John the Baptist is going to be saying once again, hey, look everybody, this is who this man is. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And Luke has been doing it up until this point. We've seen plenty of, of truths about who Jesus is. He's the coming king. He's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He's the fulfillment of the new covenant. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the son of God. He is who heaven rejoices in most. We saw the, the, the curtain of heaven pulled back and the angels uh, singing loudly of, of who Jesus is. That's all he's been establishing thus far is who Jesus is. And really, truthfully, that's really what he's going to do for the rest of the book. We're just going to see some, maybe some things in his adulthood that we might feel are more relevant to our lives. But this is relevant. We're understanding who Jesus is. And so what, what's so amazing is that God decided, Luke decided, for the first two chapters, especially in this book, to establish who this Jesus man God is. And I think this is really, really important because the Bible is a book for us Christians to understand who God is and to grow in our understanding and our faith. And as we walk towards him and we trust him and we live for him by faith, what do we need? What do we need? Well, really, truthfully, the entirety of the New Testament is full of establishing who Jesus is. And so what is so amazing is that for us, the greatest thing we need is to trust in, believe in, cling to, deepen our affection for and our understanding of who Jesus is. And I think the risk is, is present. For us as Christians, the risk is present that we would see Jesus and we would say, yeah, I already know who he is. He's a savior. He's the son of God. He died for sins. And the second we get into that place, we're moving into dangerous territory. Because then you're moving into places in which you're going to leave Jesus behind and Christianity becomes about you and your growth. And it becomes about your glory. And I say that with love because I want to draw you back in towards Jesus. 
We need to understand who Jesus is. We need to depend on Jesus. We need to lean into who he is. We need to trust him more deeply once again. And listen, let me tell you, as you grow in your faith, you will become ever more aware of how great your sin is. I mean, you just will. You will see the separation between who you are and who God is more and more and more as you mature. Like, you know how when, like, kids grew up, I mean, I know it was true for me. As I grew up, like, you're young, you take your, your parents' uh, uh, work for granted, and then as you grow up, you're like, man, they sure did a lot for me, right? You begin to understand, man, that was a hard task, or man, they spent a lot of years investing in me, or they gave me a lot of their time. Now, that's not the same. That, that, that illustration doesn't line up perfectly, but what we see as we grow in our faith is how separated we are from a holy and glorious God. I mean, we are, are beyond um, our understanding of separated, which is why he needed to send his son, which the gospel then, Jesus then, becomes sweeter to us even as we grow in our faith. So this is what Luke is doing here. He's establishing who Jesus is, and I think it would be important for us to take heed to that and to depend more on that and to look to Jesus even more deeply. So in this, what we've seen in this immediate section after we've seen his kingship, his fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, etc., what we see in this particular section is establishing who Jesus is in regards to salvation. In regards to salvation, he's the Savior. He's the Savior, which is even so important for us to cling on to as we establish who Jesus is in our own hearts that we would be saved by looking to him as the Savior. But look at verse 21 through 24. This is what we covered last week. And we see the naming of Jesus during the time of his circumcision. The emphasis wasn't on the circumcision. The emphasis was on the naming. The naming meaning God saves Jesus. Mary and Joseph believed the angels so much that they said, we're going to name Jesus what the angel told us to name Jesus, which is God saves, and showing that they were witnesses, testifying to the truth, that they believed their son really was who he says he is and who the angel said he was going to be. And Mary believed the words from the angel even in the beginning time when she was uh, told that she was going to bear a son. And so they're believing, they're testifying that Jesus really is the Savior. It points us to then this time of purification where they offer a sacrifice, pointing to Jesus being our sacrifice who purifies us from all of our sin. And then we see this dedication, right? We see this dedication of Jesus where they would redeem the child back into their family, pointing to Jesus being our redeemer, the one who pays the price to call us into the family of God. Jesus is establishing here, Luke is establishing here, that Jesus is the Savior. That's what we're establishing. Now, when we get into our verses today, we're establishing the same thing, which is why I'm calling this part two. Because really, this passage would go all the way to verse 38, 39, 40, depending on how you look at it, and it's really saying the same thing except now there's more witnesses. Because the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 19, and even in the New Testament, what we see is that this testimony, a testimony, needs to be established by two or three what? Witnesses. And so there's witnesses now who are establishing for us once again who Jesus is, which is the Savior, the one who provides salvation, okay? So we saw Mary and Joseph testify. How did they testify? Again, they named Jesus Jesus, which says we believe the truth about our son, that he really is the Savior. And then we see now into our verses more witnesses. 
There are more witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, we just read about them. There's Simeon and Anna. And so let me tell you once again what Simeon and Anna are doing for us are pointing us to the fact that Jesus really is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One who provides for us salvation. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these two characters. We're going to look at their testimony, and we're going to look at how they testify to us that Jesus really is the Son of God who provides salvation for our sins. Again, this whole section regarding salvation. And I want you to understand this story. I want you to see the treasures that are in it. I want you to see Jesus in this way because this is how God wrote it. And then at the end, what we'll do is we'll come up, we'll see four very specific principles that come out of this that we can put in our lives that are very applicable. So again, let's, let's walk through this and let's see the story. Let's understand it. I want you to understand the story the way that I do, the way that God intended, hopefully, as I am faithful to the text. What do we see? There's two important sections, really. That's it. Ready? The first section is the preparation of these prophetic witnesses. So these are the witnesses testifying to who Jesus is. And the first thing that we see in our passage is the preparation for these two prophetic witnesses. Okay? So the story is incredible because you're seeing two witnesses, and they're pretty parallel stories. Okay, these stories are pretty parallel, and so what we're going to say is this preparation, and then we're going to look at both of their preparations. We're going to jump from one story to the next story, and then we're going to see their testimony, and we're going to look at one story again, and then we're going to see the next story. So they both have some some information about who they were prior to this, and then we're going to see what they actually say about Jesus again, pointing to salvation. Okay, so let's look at this. Walk through the text. Leave it open with me. We're going to look at verses 25 through 26 right now as we look at Simeon, the preparation for this prophetic witness. Ready? Now, verse 25. Now. It says, now, I think to create any ambiguity that there's any separation of lapse of time in this section. Where were Mary and Joseph with the child? In the, where? Temple, right? Because they were in where? Jerusalem, which is where the temple was. And while they were in Jerusalem, while they were dedicating Jesus, while they were redeeming Jesus, there was a man in Jerusalem also whose name was Simeon. Now, Simeon, the name means God has heard. God has heard. And while this is incredible because you're going to understand that he was waiting for something that his people had been asking him for for a very long time, and God has heard, God is going to fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill. So listen, ready? There's this man, he's in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph are in Jerusalem, they're with the child, he's in Jerusalem at the temple as well, which what I want you to understand at this point is that there are thousands of people at the temple. Thousands. Like, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of child dedications happening at this point. Like, this is the the hub. This is Jerusalem. This is the temple. There are people everywhere. 
right? There's courtyards where only women are allowed to be in. There's the inside. There's different, there's different places in which all these people are. Some are, are there praising. Some are worshiping. Others are, are circumcising, dedicating, um, and, and doing the same things in which they did here. And so what we see is there's a lot of people in this place, and yet Mary and Joseph are also there with child, and then so is Simeon. And so they come to this temple. Simeon is there. Joseph and Mary are there. And this man, who they describe, look, at your verse, verse 26, this man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, he describes who he is. This man, it says, was what? Righteous. That's the first thing we learned about Simeon. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We don't know much about Simeon. He comes out of nowhere. So what you see in this text, lest you say, like, can you give me a little bit more backstory on who Simeon is? There's no more backstory. This is just what we know. Same thing with Anna. So listen, ready? Simeon is here. And so we know about it, but what we do know about him makes this story staggering. Because the first thing that it says about Simeon is that he's righteous. Now listen, this is important. This is the word of God, what it's telling us, right? That he was righteous. Now when you see righteous in the Old Testament, righteous can mean a variety of different things in the Old Testament, really too specifically. You ask the question when you're looking at that, was he righteous in the fact that he, was, he had right living, right? There's many there's descriptors like that in the Old Testament. They were just right living. But there's also descriptors in the Old Testament of someone being righteous, meaning right standing. So we got right standing, we got right living, right? Here what we see is right standing. He had right standing with God. This man was justified before God. He was righteous. He was in right standing, Right? Because what happens is, listen, ready? This is how the, the Old Testament worked. This is how the Jewish people were. So there were, there were kind of different categories with the Jews, right? First, you had Jewish people who really believed that they could earn their right standing with God through keeping the law, right? Okay, so those... Jews truly still believed that they could keep the right standing by fulfilling the law, and it just wasn't so. If they were really aware, if God was truly working on their heart and they were revealed, the truth was revealed to them, they would understand there ain't no way you can be in right standing with God by keeping your works. You just can't. You fall short every time. And so there were people who truly still believed that. Then... There was a group of Jews who just were Jewish by heritage, and they didn't really care one way or the other. They thought maybe they would get into right standing with God through their ancestral line. And then there's that small, very, very small remnant of people who got it, who truly believed, no, no, God's going to send a Messiah. This Messiah is going to pay for the sins of God's people, at least he's there, God's going to bring his people back because we see that there was a division in the kingdom of God. In the, in the Jewish kingdom, there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You guys know this, okay? And there was captivity taking place by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then there was prophecy um, as there was spoken that you're going to be cast off, disciplined because of your sin, yet it won't be forever. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going I'm to bring you back myself 
himself with a strong arm, right? And they're reading this, and some are understanding like Isaiah's prophecies. Some don't get it. Some don't care. It's just about their heritage. But the people who got it were waiting for the Messiah, the one who was going to come and bring them back into the family of God, or at least gather them back. God was going to do it himself. And so there are people who believed that, a Jewish remnant who believed that, and therefore were justified, even that they didn't know who Jesus was, they were justified by faith in God's future grace through the Messiah coming later, right? And we see that this man, Simeon, believed that. And listen, this is incredible. Like this, we don't know much about Simeon, but you want to know what I know from this passage? Simeon was better than Paul. You say, how could you say that? Paul's like my boy. Listen, Paul still thought he could earn Saul when he was Saul. Still thought he could earn his righteousness by being zealous for the law until he saw Jesus. Simeon, even before he saw Jesus, believed the truth. Now, this shows how even more unqualified Paul was, Saul was, to be used of God. He didn't even get it. He was a zealous Jew, but he didn't really get it. Simeon's got it. He's a small remnant, believes that God is going to do something in the future by himself that's going to bring us back to himself. He was righteous. He believed that. But then it says something else about him. Look, ready? It says that he was devout. So if we talk about he was righteous, meaning his justification, we see his devoutness speaking kind of of his sanctification, literally meaning that he was cautious. He was careful. Okay, So he was cautious or he was careful, meaning he believed, he was justified by faith, but that he also lived for God. He fulfilled it. He followed God. Because you know very well that in our culture, you can believe in Jesus, right? But yet at the same time, not follow him, like on a regular basis. Your whole Christian life could be filled with these ups and downs where you're not really devout. Well, he was. He was cautious. But the descriptor of both of these is laid by a foundation in the next sentence that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now listen, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So the righteousness and the devoutness is described by this next portion, which is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, therefore he was devout, therefore he was righteous, meaning he believed that the consolation, the consoler, the comforter was going to come, and he believed it, therefore he was justified, and he was cautious and he was careful in waiting for it and watching for it. That's his devoutness. You guys following along with me? So the next question would be, logically, what is the comforter, the consoler of Israel? What does it mean that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, you guys probably just know that. He was waiting for the Messiah. Therefore, he believed that there was a Messiah, and he was made righteous. And therefore, he was cautious and he was careful in how he lived. And so this is incredible. What we see is that Israel, the Jewish people, were in big trouble. I mean, it had just been revealed over the course of time that they were in, in big trouble. Like, when they came out of slavery from Egypt or even back further, like, they're supposed to be a great and mighty nation. You guys know that, right? And what did they turn into? Slaves. Like, it's not looking good. 
And it doesn't look like they're going to be the superpower of the world anytime soon. Not only that, but individuals are beginning to be aware that they cannot keep this law. And, and so they're devastated. They're devastated. That's what their hope is in. Their hope is in their work. And by the way, that was just what God was trying to do. Like, let me put it in your world for a second. If you're still trying to earn your way to right standing before God based upon your work, my greatest hope is that you would be devastated today. Absolutely devastated. Why? Because then you look to the Savior who will truly be your righteousness and save you from your sin. And God was devastating them. And so they were looking towards the consoler, the comforter, the one who would bring them back. And this is what Simeon was doing. Look at this. Isaiah 52, 9 through 10. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all of the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, stop right there. We see the whole comfort part, but let me just touch for a second on the last portion of that sentence, in which you see that all nations will hear, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Let me tell you, they didn't even get that. Because when it says that, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they're probably they're thinking in this sense. All the other nations, they're going to see us and God's work in our nation and God's work in our place and God's work on our people. And they're going to be amazed and say, man, that nation has the true God, which they were. But meaning here, God was going to say, no, 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 I'm not only going to show all nations, I'm going to save all nations as well. They thought the, the Redeemer was just going to be for them. And we're going to see this later on in the text, but I'm going to refer back to that, so I want you to remember that. But we see even further the consoler of, of Israel, the, 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 the consolation, Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. Go up, on, uh, go up to a high mountain on Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. God's coming. He's coming. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense be for him. He will, look at this comfort, look at this consoling. He will tend to the flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those who are with young. The consoler's coming. He believed it. The comforter's coming. He believed it. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The comforter's coming to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of, of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praises instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. One more, Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt. O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. 
Simeon got it. He believed and he was righteous and he was devout because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. But there's more about Simeon. Keep following. Ready? It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, because the Holy Spirit is upon him here and the Holy Spirit talked to him previously, we see this continual Holy Spirit involved in his life, which, let me tell you, is incredibly rare, anything prior to Pentecost. Usually in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit came, rested on, indwelt for a, 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 for a brief moment for a particular work or an act, and then left. Simeon's got the Holy Spirit, looks like continually. This man is special. We don't know much about him. All we know is that this dude's for real. Like he, like, he is one of the greatest men we see in all of the Bible. Like, he's got it. This dude's legit. And so when we see this, all we see is that the Holy Spirit is upon him and that something had been revealed to him. Look at this. Ready? Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see, what? Death. Before he had seen the Lord's Christ, until it was fulfilled. And so we're stopping right there for this. And what's happening in that moment? The Holy Spirit had said to Simeon, you, before you die, are going to see the Christ, the Messiah, the Consoler, the one that you're waiting for. You're going to see him. Like, can you even imagine this? Can you even imagine? Like, talk about no fear of death. Right? Like, dude's probably bungee jumping. Like, I mean, he's scuba and real deep into those seas. Because he ain't going to die until he sees the Messiah. Like, I know for sure I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. I don't care how healthy, you know, this, this place is. I'm going to Buffalo Wild Wings, right, as much as I can. Because I don't care. God's going to keep me alive until I see the, the coming Messiah. I mean, this guy, it, it, this is special. No one's told that. What if God were to tell you, hey, look, you are going to be alive in your lifetime. The return of Jesus will happen. Like, guarantee it. You're not going to die until Jesus comes back. Like, that would be awesome, right? Now, there's no wonder why he's cautious, devout, why he's careful, why he's continuing to look. You would live like that, too. Always be expectant that Jesus is about to return. And here is the moment in which the consoler comes. And so we see this preparation, and we're going to pick back up when we move to our second point. The other witness that we see preparation for, the other prophetic witness is who? Anna. So we see Simeon. The Lord has heard. We see Anna, whose literally name is Hannah, which refers plenty back to the Old Testament of Hannah who dedicated her child at the what? Temple. I mean, this imagery, we could go on if I had a, a lot of extra time. But this is Anna, verse 36. She's the second one. Now, this prophetess named Anna, which, by the way, prophetesses were very rare. And this is one of them, okay? I'm not going to go into all of that, but here's what I will tell you, is that she's special. Just like Simeon, she's special. There's this prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe, you're looking at verse 36, of the tribe of Asher. 
of the tribe of Asher. So she's there, and she's at the temple as well. Again, there's tons of people. There's thousands of people. Anna's there. Now, if you know anything about the tribes, we can't take a long time with this, but you know that um, they, some Jews believed that there were some tribes that were totally wiped off the map in the Assyrian and Babylonian um, times of slavery. And that God's promise um, through these tribes wasn't fulfilled or God was going to be um, proven wrong or undermined because the slavery was going to completely eliminate um, all the, uh, uh, every single tribe. And Asher was one of those tribes that people believed that about. And yet here we see that that's not true because she's from the tribe of Asher and we know it, right? And today at this point, many Jews probably don't know what tribe they were originally from. She does, Right? So she was advanced in years. Look about. Look at this. So Simeon and then Anna, this lady was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So she was married for seven years and then as a widow, so he died. And she either lived another 84 years on top of that seven or she was 84 years old total. Either way, this lady is stinking old, right? Like she's old. And she's been at the temple for a long time. Now, how long? Well, she's been there for at least 84 years, if not the difference between 7 and 84. Okay? So she's there for a long time. Now, listen to what she says. It, look, look at what it says. It says that she did not depart from the temple. And that's literally. Literally. She did not depart from the temple. There were probably some kind of housing that was there at the temple for people who maybe had service roles at the temple. And probably this lady was there so much that they said, let's put her up. Let's put her up somewhere. I mean, she didn't leave, literally did not leave the temple. And what did she do the whole time? Look at this. She worshiped and she fasted and she prayed night and day. This lady is special. She is special. I mean, who lives like this? There are not many other characters in the Bible that you would see like this. Which, by the way, side note, like if you want to take some time, spend some time in your own personal time and say like, hey, look, let me study Simeon and Anna for just maybe a half a day or something and figure out how I can be like these two people. We don't know much about them, but what we do know says a lot about them and I want to become like them. You should do that. Simeon and Anna are people that in which we would want to imitate and, and emulate. So this is what we know about them. Ready? This is the preparation of the prophetic witnesses. Now, from here, what we see is their testimony. Number two in our passage is we see the testimony of these prophetic witnesses. So now they're about to tell us something. We now know who they are, and now we're about to understand what they're going to tell us, which, listen, they're going to point us to who Jesus is and his salvation. I want you to get this at a heart level. At a heart level. Do you, believe, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Do you live like Jesus is your Savior? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? These two witnesses are establishing that Jesus is indeed Savior. What do they say? Ready? Verses 27 through 35. Here we go. So, he came in the spirit into the temple. Simeon. We're back to Simeon now, right? So, Simeon's here. 
We've known about him. We know what the Holy Spirit told him. And now he comes into the temple in the Spirit. Okay? So he's coming into the temple. Why is his family in the temple? Well, they're in the temple, probably they're referring to this redemption that's needing to take place, right? Or this, uh, the, these ceremonies that are happening. Um, we see these five shekels that was paid to buy the child back from the service of the Lord and to enter into the family. Now, Luke doesn't tell us specifically that that happened, but we can assume um, that that happened because that's what happened when you dedicated the child. You were literally dedicating them to the priesthood, but then the Levites were the only ones who were priests. So you would pay five shekels, you would buy them back to, to, into your family. So that's what was happening in this time. He was in the, they were in the temple, and the Spirit led Simeon into the temple when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, which we see the parents fulfilled the law requirements for Jesus. Jesus was under this law, accounted for him as fulfilling these law requirements. Now look at this, ready? Verse 28, and he took him up in his arms and he blessed him. He blessed God and said, now something must have happened between 27 and 28. Listen, Simeon goes up, thousands of people, same time as who? Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, right? And what happens at this time? Simeon somehow knows that this is the child. So is it the spirit telling him that this is the child? Or did he just kind of brush shoulders with Mary and Joseph and be like, yep, that's the child? Because there are probably thousands or at least hundreds of babies being dedicated, circumcised. There's families here, right? And so how does he know that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah? Something happened. God either told him or Mary and Joseph said, this is the child after they just started conversing, right? But either way, he knows, and he takes this child into his arms. Can you imagine? Look, this special guy who was told that the Messiah would come in his lifetime is now here in the temple, and he's got the comforter of Israel in his arms. He's here, and he's got him. And he sings this song. Now, we've seen a couple of songs. We've actually seen this will be the fifth song now in Luke in two chapters. So this is called the Nunc Dimittis, meaning that they take the first two words of the song in Latin, and that's where, or the first few, and that, that's where they get the name for this. So now, Lord, is how he starts. That's the name of this song. We see like we see a, a plethora of them. We see Elizabeth. We see Mary. We see Zechariah. We see the, even the angels sing a song. Now we see Simeon. And when remember when Zechariah sang his song, right? That's called a benediction. That's where we get this idea really of benediction, right? At the end of the service, when we have our benediction, the first idea there in his song was blessing. He was blessing God. That's a benediction. That's what we're doing when we give our benediction. We're blessing you as you go. And so this is the nunc dimittis. Now, Lord, like at this moment in this time right now he's filled with joy he's blessing God and he's singing a song and what is he saying look at the song verse 29 you are letting your servant depart in peace meaning I can die now why because your promise has been fulfilled I've seen the Messiah in my lifetime I've got him right you look at this according to your word so God kept his what promise he kept his word. He said, you're not going to die till you see the comforter, the consoler, the Messiah. And now he's here and he's got the comforter, the consoler, the Messiah. I'm ready. 
I got him, right? But look at this, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your what? He's the Savior. He saves. Who's Jesus? He's the one who provides salvation. He believed it, and he's testifying to us about it and to everyone else. Jesus is a variety of things. But what we see here is he is salvation for those who would believe. That's what we're proving here. That's what the witnesses are witnessing to. Do you believe that? I can't even assume in a crowd like this that everyone in here would say, yes, I have looked to Jesus for my salvation. Well, that's what Simeon is telling you. This is what God's word is telling us. He's the one who provides salvation. He pays for your sins so that if you believe, you'd be justified before God. He has given salvation. Verse 31, that you have prepared God. He's singing. He's singing. Joyful, blessing. He's singing. Salvation's here. You have prepared in the presence of all people. But wait a second. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now this is new. This is new news. At this point, this is new. Okay, because listen, even the verse that we saw earlier, remember that he was going to be a light even to the world, to the nations, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand Jesus wasn't going to be just seen, but that he was going to be experienced by even the other nations as salvation. And now Simeon is not only testifying that Jesus is the, the Savior, but he's testifying that this Savior is going to be for all people in the world, Gentiles and Jews alike. They're, they're under, this is new here because they didn't get it. They didn't fully get it, and this was going to be for all people. Wait a second. He's a light for revelation even to the Gentile. He provides salvation. Look at this, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. What wonder, how amazing that we would get this. They didn't even get it. And yet now this is being shown, revealed, understood that this Savior was going to the ends of the earth for salvation to anyone who would believe. And it was also for the glory of your people, Israel. Now, when they get all this, this is joyful news. This is off. The comforter's here. Simeon's experiencing it. He's got him in his arms. He's singing. Blessings happening. They're in the temple. I mean, this is good. This is good news at this point. And then Simeon's got to go and ruin everything. Verse 33, his father and his mother are marveling. Why are they marveling? Probably in reference to the words of verse 32, which is that he was going to be a light, a revelation for the Gentiles. Why would they marvel at that? Probably, once again, they didn't understand because they knew that this son was going to be the Savior. We already know that they believed it. How? They named Jesus Jesus. 
So they already believed it. They wouldn't marvel at all these words about Jesus because they already knew it. Like angels showed up to him and said, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Savior, right? They've, I mean, like this is old news, right, for them. Not literally. And what's going on here? Yet we just heard, they just heard some words that he was going to be for the Gentiles too, and they're marveling. Oh, my goodness. They're starting to get it. And then Simeon presents some bad news. Here's the testimony. He's still testifying to the Savior, Jesus, for salvation. What does he say? Look at this, verse 34 through 35. Simeon blessed them, which is weird for what he's about to say. And he said to Mary, his mother, now notice he's speaking to Mary directly. Why? Because when this stuff that's about to happen is fulfilled, Joseph's probably dead by then. Joseph's probably not going to experience what is being said at this moment about how this was going to happen. They know Jesus is the consoler. He's there for salvation, but they didn't know how this was going to happen. Even in Isaiah 53, when we see and understand the suffering servant, they didn't put it all together. They didn't put it all together. But now we're understanding this is how this salvation is going to happen. Look at verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wait a second. Mary's understanding, this is my son, the Savior of the Jews, the people. He's the Son of God. The angels came. This is great news. This is blessing. He's for the Gentiles. He's for Israel. And what, are you, what is this that you're you're telling me he's going to be appointed for the rising and the fall of many. He's going to be opposed. The sword's going to pierce through my spirit. And many hearts are going to be revealed in the negative sense. What's happening here? But we're understanding Simeon is telling her more than she understands at this point. Which is that the way in which salvation was going to happen was going to be through suffering. The suffering servant. The one who was going to die on our behalf. And we see a number of things. First, we see that this is going to be for the rising and the fall of many. Listen, this servant, some were going to Jesus, some were going to see him, understand his work, and they were going to rise to salvation. Listen, and some were going to see his work and they were going to fall to eternal separation. He was going to be the appointing for the rising and the fall of many. Look at this, Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. He's going to be a sanctuary, and he's going to be a stumbling block. To both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall. Some will rise, some are going to fall, and they shall be taken. They shall be snared and taken. Many people were going to believe, and many people were not going to believe. First Peter talks about this as a stumbling block, and yet some are called into the priesthood, meaning in the family of God. Romans 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. 
How? That is a righteousness that is by faith. They believed in the Messiah. They went about it the right way. But that Israel, who pursued the law, being justified by their works, remember many Israelites did not get it, right? That would lead to, a, they, they, they pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, so they did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but that as if it were based on works. Remember, some Jews got it, some Jews didn't. This Faith was going to be the way in which salvation would come, and yet some were going to stumble on it because they still wanted to pursue salvation by their works. And they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Wait a second. Offense, and yet some who believe will not be put to shame. This is what we're seeing here. This child is going to be the appointing of rising and falling of many, and how Relevant for us. Listen, Jesus has come. Jesus has paid for your sins. And there are some in this room who, upon hearing who Jesus is and being called under lordship to Jesus to live for him for the rest of your life and submit yourself for the word through true belief, repentance, and belief, some will rise to salvation by believing. And yet others will say, how dare you, God? Or how dare you, church, for telling me that there's only one way to God? There's no way. How exclusive. And Christ, instead of becoming a sanctuary for your eternity, becomes a stumbling block, a rock of offense. My prayer is that you would be one who rises to believe, not by your own merit and your effort, but by grace through faith, through submitting yourself and giving up the reins of your life and trusting in Jesus. We see the rising and the fall. We also see, look at this, ready? We gotta move fast. That he will be a sign that is opposed. So there will be opposition. Let's just look at this. Matthew chapter 27, verses 22 through 23. Look at this. This is fulfilled. Pilate said to them, then what shall we do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said what? Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. He was going to be a rock of offense. He was going to be appointing, he was appointed for the rising and the falling of many in Israel and a sign that would be opposed. This man claims to be the son of God and wants us to live for him, believe in him as God and submit to him for the rest of his life. No way, let him be crucified. And we say that too. And that's scary. That the one who's called us into salvation will be the one who's opposed. We see also there's a parenthesis there that the sword will pierce through your own soul, also speaking to Mary. And it's true. Look at this, John 19, 25. By stand, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Mary was standing by when Jesus was being put on the cross and killed. And she's saying, how is this possible? What's happening? My son, the son of God, who the angel proclaimed would bring good news of great joy, would be received 
received by all the people of Israel is now being rejected by his very own people in whom he came to save. She couldn't even fathom her own people rejecting this man who came to provide salvation. She couldn't fathom it. So now her son's being killed. This sword is piercing right through her and her own nation is rejecting him. And then we see furthermore, so that the thoughts of many may be revealed. So the revealing of hearts is going to happen. John chapter 6, as a, I won't read all of this because of time's sake, but in this passage, John chapter 6, Jesus claims to be the bread of life. He says, eat my flesh and drink my, and what happens in this passage is many people decide to stop following him. And so many people's hearts are going to be revealed by what Jesus says. And some of you in this room today, and I hope it's not you, are going to hear God's word and say, nope, I don't want that Jesus. I want a different one. And your heart will be revealed. And so we see this testimony, Anna, I'm just going to cover briefly. Flip open chapter 30, uh, verse 30, um, 38. We see Anna's testimony. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks. So now she's coming up, same time. I mean, God just working this perfectly too. Um, th and she's giving thanks to God and speaking of him to all who were waiting. So she's got this child now. She sees him. She starts testifying to everybody around her that this is the Messiah, the one, the anointed one, who's going to provide what? Look at it at the end. The redemption for Israel, Jerusalem, the people of God, the people who were waiting for it, who believed in it, the remnant, who were trusting in it, who understood, who were waiting for the consolation of Israel, the same people, those people, she says, he's here, he's here. And he was indeed here. So we see their testimony. Now, what's some principles that we can apply as we understand this passage and we're done? First thing we understand from the passage the main point of all of it is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. That's what this passage is telling us. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And do you live like it? Do you functionally trust in Jesus for salvation? Or do you trust in your own merit? The second thing we see is that Jesus brings comfort to sinners. The people of God got it. They couldn't keep it. The remnant got it. They couldn't keep it. And listen, let me just tell you. When I'm devastated by my flesh, by my sin, by my shortcomings, by my failures, I need a comforter who says, I paid for it. That's what these people needed. They had been in bondage. They had fallen short. God had disciplined them. They needed the consoler, the comforter. It's like what Paul says in Romans 7. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and taking me, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, I need comfort. I'm a sinner. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I need some comfort because of my sin. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he has been 
made new by the comforter who comes and says, hey, look, yes, you're deep into sin. You have sin, and yet the comforter has paid for it. Comforter. Speaking of like a blanket, I'm not speaking of a comforter in that way. All right. Number three, Jesus' sacrifices for all people. I'm just going to roll through these in one more. Um, Jesus can be accepted or can be rejected. Number three, Jesus' sacrifices for all people. The speaking of the Gentiles, this gospel going to the Gentiles and not just to the Jews shows us that God is after people who can't make it on their own. It's for all people. So maybe you're in here today and you say, yeah, Jesus is for all these other people, but he's not for me. That's not true. You're exactly who he's for. And lastly, Jesus can be accepted. We see this. Or he can be rejected. And I pray that you would be one who accepts who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and this is a long, difficult text. And yet, at the same time, God, you give us so much truth here. And I pray, Lord, that we would see that you are the Christ and that you are the Messiah. I pray for the people in this room that you would cause them to believe it. Secondly, God, I pray, Jesus, that you would bring comfort to these people, that they would look to you as the comforter, as the one who is the consoler, the one who pays for the sins of the world, and they would look to you for their salvation. God, we also, I also pray, God, that we would see that that in your salvation, God, it's for all people. That we wouldn't be someone who says, this is just not for me. I'm too far gone. I can't receive this. I've got too much more to make up. That we wouldn't say that. We would see that, God, you even sent Jesus to the Gentiles, the ones who were despised and rejected by the Jewish people, to save them from their sin. And God, I also pray for those in this room that would understand that although all of this is true, Jesus still can be accepted or rejected. He can be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. And I pray that the people in this room would see him and trust in him for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.